0: Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening for the privilege that it is ours to assemble together to study a portion of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will open our minds and cause us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We stand in Exodus chapter 17. Verses 8 through 16. When well, we're dealing with Israel's defeat of the Amalekites. He reads, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, and Aaron and her went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands the Israelites were winning but whenever he lowered his hands the Amalekites were winning when Moses' hand grew tired they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it Aaron and Hur held his hands up one on one side one on the other so that his hands remain steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under the sun. Moses built an altar and called, If the Lord is my banner, he said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against Amalekites from generation to generation. Now the message of this section, of Exodus 17 verses 8 through 16, that we stated in our last study is, uh, to be successful in any endeavor, you should combine the physical and the spiritual components of your life with greater emphasis or focus on your spiritual life. Now we emphasize that this message does not mean that you should not work hard in the physical aspect of whatever you are are trying to achieve only that you must have your focus on the spiritual component of your life. Now I want to be clear, as I stated last week, as to what this message does not say. It is not saying that you should not invest time in the physical aspect of your endeavor, but that you must be more focused in your spiritual life, so that you do not rely on your own wisdom or even your own training more than you rely on the Lord to guide you. Now, we indicated that the section may be considered in as consisting of five paragraphs. A first paragraph is an introduction to the war between Israel and the Amalekites as given in verse 8. The second paragraph described in verse 9 is concerned with Israel's preparation for battle with the Amalekites. The third paragraph consists of the execution of the war described in verses 10 through 12. Now this paragraph of course focuses on the roles of Joshua and Moses in the execution of the war. However, the majority of the paragraph actually focus on the role of Moses in the success of the war. So the role of Moses involved his holding the staff of God in his hand. When he raised his hand, Israel, the Israelites were successful in the sense of winning the war, but when he relaxed it, the Israelites started to lose the war. Thus to ensure that Israel continued to win and to eventually win the war, the hand of Moses was propped up by Aaron and Hur. Thus, the third paragraph is focused more on the action of Moses than that of Joshua, who was actually in the battlefield. Now the fourth paragraph, concerned Israel's victory, as stated in verse 13. The fifth and the last paragraph, described in verses 14 through 16, is concerned with the resultant actions following Israel's victory over the Amalekites. So we have considered the fourth paragraph, and we started with the second paragraph that we did not complete, and so we continue with the action of Joshua in preparation for Israel's war with the Amalekites as given in the first sentence of Exodus 17, verse 9, that reads Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Now, the first action of Joshua is given. In that word, choose. Choose. That's his first action. That that word, choose, is translated from uh, a Hebrew word. I know that means choose. But the word is quite often used in the Old Testament scripture in connection with God's election as it is used for the election of Israel as stated in Deuteronomy, chapter 14, verse 2. A word, but it's means is useful for election. Election of Israel. Deuteronomy you know chapter 14 verse 2. Deuteronomy you know chapter 14 verse 2 reads, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, The Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. That is Israel's election as a a nation. Now the word may mean to taste, to taste. As it is used to describe Israel in relation to God's action towards them in Isaiah chapter 48 verse 10. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 10. Now it reads, Isaiah 48 verse 10 reads, See, I have refined you, do not as silver. I have tested, that same word translate, choose. Yes, now translate tested. I have tested you in the furnace. Of affliction. In other words, God can, and periodically we do that, put us through some kind of testing in order to see what we're made up of. Now, when the word is used as a, a passive participle in the Hebrew, it is used primarily as an adjective with the meaning chosen, as more in the military context as we see in 4 Samuel, chapter 24, verse 2. 4 Samuel. 4 Samuel, chapter 24, verse 2. It is, or Samuel chapter 24 verse 2 reads, so Saul took three thousand chosen. That's a Hebrew word here says, used as an adjective, a participle. So chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the cracks of the wild goats. Now the translators of the NIV give the word the meaning finest, finest in describing the Israelite men who went to war against the tribe of Benjamin for his refusal to turn over those hot heads that raped a, a, a Levite concubine or secondary wife as we read in Judges chapter 20 verse 34 Judges chapter 20 verse 34 George's chapter 20 verse 34 reads Then 10,000 of Israel's finest men that were finest is a Hebrew uh, word bahar is Israel's finest men made a frontal attack on Givia. The fighting was so heavy that the uh, Benjamins did not realize how near disaster was. How close they came to being completely wiped out as a tribe. Now in our passage of Exodus 17 verse 9 though, the word has a sense of to choose all right. That is to select, to select from one's own uh, reason or purposes from a number of alternatives now the command "choose" given to Moses I mean by Moses to uh, Joshua choose some of our men implies that Moses had confidence in God's uh, ability to direct Joshua in other words Moses trusted that the Holy Spirit will guide Joshua to select the right men who will fight the Amalekites. Now, we say this because selection of any kind or choosing between alternatives requires some kind of criteria. For example, when Moses, on the advice of his father-in-law, chose leaders he certainly followed uh, some criteria suggested by his uh, father-in-law so Moses' choice of leaders is then stated in Exodus chapter 18 verse 25 and hold on to that chapter chapter Exodus chapter 18 verse 25 reads He chose Capable men From all Israel And made them leaders Of the people Officials over Thousands, hundreds Fifties and tens Now see Moses chose chose Capable men Based on the criteria His father-in-law Had suggested to him as we read still in that chapter 18 of Exodus. Look at verse 21. Here is the criteria given to him. By, suggested by his father-in-law. He said, Be select capable men from all the people. Men who fear God. Trustworthy men. Who hate dishonest gain. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So he gave them criteria here. Those who fear God, those who are trustworthy, and those who hate this honest game. Thus, the criteria given to him. Now later, when Joshua became the leader of Israel, he certainly based his choice of soldiers for the Attack of Ai on his experience with the army. As that is implied in Joshua chapter 8 verse 3. Joshua. Chapter 8 verse 3. Joshua chapter 8 verse 3 reads, So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night. See that phrase, best fighting men, implies choice, best on Joshua's knowledge of the performance of these men, he chose their performance in battlefield. Now, when the Lord instructed Gideon to choose a select group of soldiers for his attack on the Midianites, the Lord gave him criteria for doing so, as we read in. Georges, chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. Georges, chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. So they Gideon... Took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest go down on their knees to drink. Now think about it. That's a criteria God gave him. And that's how he's going to find those who should go to war with him. 300 of them. So that, of course, God will do his thing, deliverance, to show that he doesn't require numbers to do so. Now, later, though, in the history of Israel, the Holy Spirit gave through Moses instruction of how to select and assemble men for war. That's very interesting. Given in Deuteronomy, chapter 20, verses 5 through 9. Deuteronomy, chapter 20, verses 5 through 9. It is, The officers, shall say to the army now here are the ways to weed them out has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it let him go home or he may die in the battle and someone else may dedicate it has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it let him go home Or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. Then the officers shall add, Is any man afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home. So that his brothers will not become disheartened, disheartened too. When the officers have finished speaking to the army, they shall appoint commanders over it. Now, when we think about this kind of criteria, anyone who has been in the war front knows that's stringent. Uh, especially to say, if you're afraid to go, go home. That's very. Uh, Difficult to find men who are really not afraid. I don't care how much his soldier's trained. Yeah, yeah, he knows that could be it. So he will be afraid to be in, to go in. But here, yeah, this is to show that God is one. He is the uh, the army commander of Israel to show that he has the power to deliver them. Because if he, suppose he whips all these people out, you have a few people to go to war. He guarantees that they will win. Because they have followed his instruction. Of course he is also guaranteed that he will help people who are strong enough who want to die. No matter what it is instead of you know, being enslaved by the invading army they rather die. And so this is kind of criteria that you see. But this instruction that we read you know, was not available to Joshua at that time. And no other criteria was uh, provided by Moses when he instructed Joshua to choose men for battle against the Amalekites. Now, doesn't we contend that Moses had confidence that the Holy Spirit would guide Joshua to choose the right kind of men to wage the war against the Amalekites. That, he, that was his confidence. That God would do that. Of course. Some here though. Some commentators think that Joshua. Must have been training Israel army. So that he had an idea of. Those who were ready to fight. Or some say. Or that the thing is that. Uh, he based his choice. In availability of swords In the sense that he chose men who had swords or weapon of war since not everyone that came out of Egypt had one so that's, that's how some speculate will be well, now this may be the case but our text does not say so hence it is better simply to take the position that Moses was confident that the, the spirit of God in Joshua will guide him to make the right call or right selection of men for war. Some way, somehow, this is a matter of confidence in what God can do. And a lot of time, if we function that way, we'll be amazed at what God will do for us. We'll have confidence that he'll direct things, even when it doesn't make sense from human perspective. So anyway, Joshua's first action then is to assemble the army in preparation for the war with the Amalekites. Now, Joshua's second action, that is a response to Moses' instruction, is moving toward the enemy in preparation for engaging them in the war. It is a second action that is given in the expression of Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. Verse 9 reads, and go out to fight the Amalekites. Now the expression of Exodus 17, uh, verse 9, the 1984 edition of the NIV, when it says, and go out to fight the Amalekites, actually consists of two commands in the Hebrew text. Since a literal translation from the Hebrew reads something like this and go out that's the first command fight against Amalek Amalek now so the first command then is go out that word uh, expression is translated from a Hebrew word that has a range of meanings that is concerned with movement it may mean to go out as an instruction of the Lord of Israel not to venture out of their houses the night of the Passover uh, feast, the very first one as stated in uh, Exodus chapter 12 verse 22 Exodus 12 verse 22 and hold on to that chapter for, for the moment. It is take a bunch of his soap, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of them not one of you should go out the door of his house on the morning. Now here the what here, the Hebrew word translate go out. Now the Hebrew word may mean to leave as in the command of Pharaoh to the Israelites following the last plague then of the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians as given in that Exodus chapter 12. Look at verse 31. Verse 31. Verse 31 reads... During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave. That word leave, that's a Hebrew word translated go out. Leave, my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Now, the word also means to march out as used a military movement of an army as those who went out with, uh, after Israel during their time of move, moving through the desert to get to Canaan in Numbers chapter 21 verse 23 Numbers chapter 21 verse 23 reads but Sion." Would not let Israel pass through his territory. He mustered his entire army and marched out. That's our Hebrew word here, it's not translated. Marched out into the desert against Israel. When he reached Jehaz, he fought with Israel. Of course, he was defeated. Now, in our passage of Exodus chapter 17, verse 9, the word has the meaning of to go out for battle. Go out for battle. Hence, the first commanding, uh, after Joshua has selected the soldiers for the battle, then is to proceed to so the battlefield to engage the enemy, as spelled out in the second command. Now, the second command is given in the verbal phrase of the NIV where we're studying. Uh, Exodus 17, verse 9, with that expression, to fight, to fight. Now, the word fight is translated from a Hebrew word with a root meaning of act of violence of a one person or a group against another. Now, the word may mean to do battle, wait, to fight, although the translators of the NIV use the meaning to attack. To translate our word in the psalmist's complaints about the hostility of the wicked or his enemy towards him, that is really not justified, as is stated in Psalm 109, verse 3. Now, people may attack us. Hopefully, that is unjustified. Because there are things that we can do that actually cause people to attack us. And they may be right by attacking us, but that doesn't really uh, absorb them from whatever they do that is sinful. But the thing is, they, uh, the psalmist says, complaining, I didn't do anything that deserved them doing treating me the way they did. So here we read, With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack. That's a Hebrew word. They attack me without cause. They haven't done them anything, and yet they attack me. Now in the Hebrew form, that the word is used in our passage, it has the meaning of to fight, or to wage war. To wage war. As it is used to indicate that the Lord fights for Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verse thirty. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter one verse thirty. It is the Lord your God who is going in before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. As a promise given to them that you as a believer should also claim. Many, many times we want to fight the battle on our own. Instead of turning it over to the Lord to fight for us. The battle is his. Even when people are coming against you, just turn it over to the Lord. He knows how to deal with whatever it is that people come against you uh, either because of your faith or something that you've applied correctly and they don't like it. Don't, don't, don't try to fight back in the way humans do. Just turn this over to God and he's going to fight for you. Now the meaning to attack is used in describing the various uh, military activities of Israel during their conquest of Canaan as we read in Joshua chapter 10, verse 34. Joshua, Joshua chapter 10 verse 34 reads, Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from uh, Lachish to Eglon. They took up positions against it and attacked it. Now in our passage of Exodus 17 verse 9 the uh, Hebrew word has the meaning of to fight militarily so it is clear that the second commanding of Moses to Joshua after his selection of soldiers was for him to fight in the battlefield against the Amalekites so anyhow uh, Joshua's preparation involved not only assembling of the army... of Israel... but moving the troops... towards the battlefield... where they engage... the enemy... now that is a a daunting task... is wanting to assemble soldiers... it's a different thing to move them... to the battlefield... those who have gone through that know... especially those who have a commanding role... they realize how difficult it is... because many times... Depending on where you are attacking, the movement is at night and um, of whatever it is, people have to uh, be in mean, the infantry, they have to move on their foot and learn how to walk like cats in order not to treat the enemy that you're very close. So here he has to move. So it's not just that he has assembled them. Uh, we don't have all the details, but this is something that do, uh, will happen in a battlefield. That they have to be very careful if, if they're going to achieve what I mentioned last week, which is the element of surprise. That is something that, you know, like I said last week, people in this country, most people, many haven't got the message that you don't push your leaders to tell you everything. You give them that room. Let them walk with secrecy because that's how you get military uh, surprises over your enemy because once you telegraph what you're going to do that's it, they're gone whatever it is, if it's a weapon they know how to hide it, so you can reach it or even in many cases you fall into the ambush because now they know you're coming so it is uh, if you read the book of Joshua, you see many times Joshua fought the time he did uh, some of the successes to describe he uses element of surprise everybody next it. You must have that. And that's why I keep saying anytime, uh, no matter, you know, I keep saying that we just pray for the Lord. You can arm yourself as you want in your house. If somebody attacks you with element or surprise, you're defenseless. Believe me, you can't do it then. So you just pray that the Lord will protect you. Now Moses not only instructed Joshua regarding his preparation to respond to the attack of the Amalekites, But he also assured him of his own preparation for the battle against the Amalekites. It is Moses' uh, preparation that is given then in the last uh, sentence of Exodus chapter 17 verse 9 that we're looking at. Look at verse 9, it says, Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now, the war tomorrow defines not only when Moses will carry out his preparation for the war with the Amalekites, but also the time for Joshua to engage the enemy of Israel. Now, this understanding is really reflected in our English versions uh, of how the Hebrew line is punctuated in the English. You see, some English versions such as the, uh, the today's English version and the New Jerusalem Bible among others link the war tomorrow with Joshua's preparation for the war while many like the NIV linked it to Moses' preparation for the war. So, my argument is, is for both. Because if you read there's some English version you think is only talking about Joshua. And the analogy it looks like it's talking about only Moses. I'm saying no, it's for both. So the truth is that the warden tomorrow is intended to convey both the time of Joshua's engagement of the enemy in the battlefield and Moses' preparation for the battle with the Amalekites. That the word tomorrow, as a reference to the time Joshua was to move to the uh, battlefield, implies that Joshua had only one day to prepare to battle with the Amalekites, who somehow, some were not specified, made clear of their intention to attack the Israelites. They also lost the element of surprise, because if they had attacked Israel, when Israel, you know, been know, they would have got them. But once they telegraphed what they were going to do, Israel got ready. And that's what always, why we have to be careful. Many times, you just, there are just things that, you know, you don't open your mouth and just keep and take your action without blabbling what you're going to do. So, in any case, Moses, in the sentence of Exodus, Chapter 17, verse 9 says, Tomorrow I will stand up on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Imply that there are two war fronts that are necessary for successful execution of the war against the Amalekites. Two war fronts. There is a physical battlefield that Joshua will be the commander of soldiers. But there is also a spiritual battle field that Moses, although the overall commander of Israel's army, is a commander. As it is, uh, is clear that he was not alone in the hill. Now the instruction of uh, Moses to Joshua involved physical preparation for the war. But Moses' preparation consists of spiritual preparation for the battle. So Moses described his preparation as involving taking a stand in the hill as in the sentence of Exodus 17 verse 9 where he said, I will stand on top of the hill. Now that word stand is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to station oneself or to take a stand for a definite purpose. Thus, it is a word that is used to describe the position of Abraham's servant who went to procure a wife for Isaac at a specific location to wait for the young girls that went to draw water from the spring, as we read in Genesis chapter 24 verse 13. Genesis, chapter 34, verse 13. It's a case uh, of Abraham saying, go get a wife for my son from my home and all that. The the man went uh, and prayed and said, okay, God, I'm going to stay here. You just show me the girl and, and gave his criteria to God in his request. And God answered exactly what he said and so when, the, when there was uh, the God that God had intended and when that happened see what we have here this is what he was ta- saying to God verse 24 verse 13 of Genesis says see I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople people are coming out to draw water so he is taking his position where he knows the gods are going to pass by, and he's already prayed what God what he requests from the Lord, and, and of course God answered him. Now the Hebrew word may mean to attend or to care for, as it is used of women assisting another woman in childbirth in 1 Samuel chapter 4 verse 20. For Samuel Chapter four verse twenty. He reads For Samuel chapter four verse twenty reads As she was dying, the woman attended attending her said, Don't despair. You have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. See that verbal phrase, the woman attending her, is more literally the woman who is standing by her. Now, most many people probably do not realize it, that in the ancient time, they didn't have uh, medical facilities as we do today. So usually it will be the women, some selected women in the community that will be around another woman giving birth to her and so on and so forth. That's the way they did it. It's still being done in some parts of the world today. Anyway, figuratively the word may mean to stand firm or to be established as it is used to describe God's word in Psalm 119 verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. This is what it talks about: the word of God. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. A stands firm, that's a Hebrew word, it stands firm in the heavens. Now it is in the sense of stationing them oneself, or taking one stand in a specific location for a definite purpose that the word is used in our passage of Exodus 17 verse 9. Now the location that Moses will station himself, or take his stand is described with the phrase of Exodus 17 verse 9 when it says on top of the hill on top of the hill that's where he was stationed himself now the word top here though is uh, translated from a Hebrew word that literally mean, that refers to the head of a human uh, being or, or it can also mean a head that as a human being, that way you can play something and carry something. I mean, I know some of you, you get amazed when you see some women carrying something in their head over in TV and so Yes, they do. Some women do that. And that's uh, not just women, men. They do also uh, They do use their head to carry things. And that is the way that it is used to narrate what happened. the Uh, Chief Baker's dream that he uh, gave to uh, Joseph with the, the intention that Joseph would give him an interpretation of it. In Genesis chapter 40 verse 16. Genesis chapter 40 verse 16. Genesis chapter 40 verse 16 reads when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation he said to Joseph I too had a dream on my head that's a Hebrew word thurbet, really the Hebrew word rush he said on my head were three baskets of bread in other words he was carrying baskets of uh, bread on his head as he goes to serve the king now figuratively the Hebrew word may mean leader or chief as it is used to describe those Moses chose to help him in his administration of the affairs of the Israelites in keeping with the advice of his father-in-law uh, as we uh, read in a passage that I cited previously you don't have to write it down I just read it to you which is Exodus chapter 18 verse 25 you don't have to write it let me just read it one more time he said he chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders that word leaders is a Hebrew word rosh means head the leaders of the people Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Now, the Hebrew word may mean top, that is the uppermost height of an object. So, when used with the mountains, it simply means mountain top, mountain top, as it is used to describe where Israel practiced their idolatry in sacrificing to the idols. In the Northern Kingdom in particular. Because. Prophet Hosea. Denounced them. Of doing that. According to Hosea. Chapter 4. Verse three. I mean verse 13. Hosea. Chapter 4. Verse 13 It is the sacrifice on the mountain tops and born offerings on the hills on the oak poplar and terebin where the shade is present. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. In our passage of Exodus 17.9, the word means top in the sense of the highest point on the hill. So Moses indicated that he would station himself on the highest point of, of the hill. Now the hill, Moses described, cannot be determined now the only thing we know is that it is a hill situated at Rephidim or the outskirts of the desert of Sinai. Now although we cannot be certain of the location Moses and Joshua knew the hill that Moses uh, had in mind. Now that is a thing that's really important in the narrative. And nonetheless the more important question is the reason for Moses stationing himself on the top of the hill? Why would he go there? Now there's really no direct reason, given uh, by the context, enables us then to understand Moses' reason for stationing himself at the top. Of the hill that presumably overlooks the battlefield of the war between Israel and the uh, the Amalekites. See, Moses, as the overall commander, needed to be at a location where he could reach the battlefield as a commander uh, would normally do to help direct the activities of soldiers under his command. This is what, in some cases, uh, depending on what it is, you, uh, you, uh, maybe those, depending on whether it's a platoon commander or battalion and so on, but of course, uh, the higher up they go, they move them a little bit (laughs) further. But maybe mostly the first lieutenant and second lieutenant, sometimes they might have to... uh, find themselves, maybe even climb a tree, in order to see what's going on, and I, I can tell you from personal experience <laughs> that's the first time I got shot at before I actually got, actually shot, but reading, just looking too, so you can see what's going on, if you can and that's what we believe Moses wanted to do, so in case of Moses, he was, of course, both the overall military commander, and a spiritual leader of Israel. So it was necessary for him to locate himself where he could read the battlefield to know how the war was proceeding. See, many times when uh, commanding officers do that, there are are two things they really have in their mind. One is how to advance the soldiers. The other one is if it's really getting rough. Went to withdraw it back. So, but in case of Moses, that wasn't going to happen. His was just one to know when Israel is being defeated and to know when Israel is defeating its enemy and so on. So, in case of Moses, as I said, he was both the uh, overall military commander and the spiritual leader of Israel. So, it was necessary for him to locate himself where he could read then the battlefield to know how the war was proceeding so the point that we are making is that the uh, reason Moses in preparation for the battle where the Amalekites will station himself at the top of the hill is simply to be able to overlook the battlefield so to know what to do with respect to petitioning the Lord about the war. See, he wasn't going to withdraw the army. That's, that's out of the question. So for him, is if things are going bad, so he will know how he testifies his petition to God. And this is why it was necessary for him to be at the top, where he can see what was going on down the... Uh, maybe more like a valley or something, but just so he can see clearly what's going on on the, the plane. So it's not only that Moses, in preparation for the battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites, will go to the top of the uh, hill, but also he indicated that he was to go with his staff in his hand, as in that phrase of verse 9 of Exodus 17, where we are study. It says, with the staff of God in my hands. Now literally the Hebrew reads, And the staff of God in my hand. Now that, the phrase, the staff of God, that will be in Moses' hand, is a reference to the staff that Moses had in his hand when God first commissioned him to be his agent of deliverance of Israel from slavery. According to Exodus chapter 4, verse 17. Exodus chapter 4 verse 17. He reads, But take this staff in your hand, so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Now, subsequently, Moses' staff was described as God's staff. In the same Exodus 14, look at verse, I mean chapter 4, look at verse 20. Verse 20 reads, So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Now it's called the staff of God. So Moses' staff, or, or the staff of God, is certainly associated with miracles. Now the first miracle of the plague of uh, turning water into blood, uh, performed before Pharaoh through Moses, that the Lord performed through Moses, involved the use of this staff, according to Exodus chapter 7 verse 20. Exodus chapter 7 verse 20. It is Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile and all the water was changed into blood. Now of course it is the staff though that was used to strike the rock at Sinai to provide drinking water for Israel as we've already studied still in Exodus chapter 17 verses 5 and 6 Exodus chapter 17 verses 5 and 6 reads The Lord answered Moses Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So anyway, the staff of God which was, uh, which of course is the same as Moses' staff, is associated with performing miracles. Thus, when Moses indicated that he would uh, take the staff of God as he takes his stand at the top of the hill, that is an indication that he anticipates Israel will win the war Miraculously. So I'm saying that Moses had faith that the battle will be won not because of Israel's military capability, but because God will miraculously provide Israel victory, since his staff reminds him of the Lord's presence and the miraculous interventions. In effect, Moses recognized that victory belongs to the Lord, he realized that uh, what many believers really uh, do not probably recognize, that is, that the victory of a nation in a battlefield does not depend on his military might, but on God's help. Now, I mean that such believers do not know or have forgotten what the psalmist says about trusting military machinery for victory, as we read in Psalm 20 verse 7. Now I know many times people just, they hear news or things, they're, uh, they're incapable of actually thinking through what they had, because they don't have enough uh, Knowledge of the scripture to help them interpret what they are saying. And some of you may remember during the days of storm that the mighty United States army was stopped for some time because of storm, dust and they couldn't move forward. I and mean, I just can tell you, what can, if God wants to do something, he can do something. But we just don't realize. We think, once we are armed, we are okay. No, we better arm ourselves spiritually. Because that's where the world is, is actually a one. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalm 20, verse 7 reads, Some trust in chariots, and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now the phrase, in chariots, and some in horses, Refers to the military machinery of ancient war akin to the modern tanks or artilleries. Now, so you say people rely on that instead of relying on their God. It doesn't mean they don't have, have the base military equipment, but underneath that, it must be supported by the spiritual life of those left behind. To support those who are in the war front with their prayers and so on and so forth. Anyway, now that aside, Moses' preparation for the war between Israel and the Amalekite is concerned with the spiritual component for carrying out a successful war. In effect, Israel's preparation involved in a physical and the spiritual components. Joshua physical warfront Moses spiritual warfront. Combine both you have victory. Hence the primary message that we stated which is to be successful in any endeavor you should combine the physical and the spiritual components of your life with greater focus on your spiritual life. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to challenge us to be mindful of the spiritual component of our lives as we deal with every and any situation of our lives. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.